Hey, well, thank you, Kevin, uh, and welcome. I'm Tim Rogers, lead pastor here at Grace Point Church. Glad to have you here with us and uh, listening online later and watching on Facebook Live. Glad to have you doing that as well. But thank you so much for joining us here. This morning, it's going to be, um, for those who are regular attenders, um, maybe a slightly different flavor or feel this morning for you, and I hope that's okay. And those who are not regular attenders, then it's going to be the feel that it is for you. You know, nothing to compare that to. Uh, but I wanted to share a little bit um, of my story here as we begin to talk about uh, the big question for this morning, but I, I want to kind of weave my, um, my past year or so into where we're going to kind of share with you a little bit of what's been going on in my own life and um, raise some of the questions that I want to talk about this morning. And here's what I mean. Um, it's not been a secret that I've tried to hide from you that the past year has been hard for me. Uh, it's been a challenge for me, and, I, and I'll explain some of why that is here in a second. Uh, but I want to thank you for those who have reached out uh, f- to me, even without understanding or knowing all the details in the past year. It really has been a gift to be encouraged by so many of you, even in the middle of what has been a challenging year uh, for me, a year plus. Um, I'll begin by saying this. Our partnership with the Factory Ministries has been a vital part of Grace Point Church for so long. Um, in fact, uh, it was back just, what, Ten years ago, Jen, when we got married, uh, my wife and I met at the Factory Ministries. I was the second director of the Factory Ministries, which is a faith-based social service organization in our community. And our partnership with them as a church is strong. And we, we love what the Factory does uh, in, the, in connecting with people from so many levels. And we are just so grateful to them for what they do. Um, so our partnership there is strong. And at the same time, our partnership and our work with what we now call the Together Initiative Network has been strong. Um, that network um, is what we now call our virtual town square. In fact, this past week we had um, about 50 plus people in the room representing sectors uh, across the board in our community, from the state police to our school district, our library, our social service leaders, all of the townships in the Pecker Valley District were represented, United Way and others, faith-based leaders, all together in the room, um, really talking about what we're trying to do in our community. And that has been a profound piece of work in our community and in our church. One of the the things you should know... um, the network is now generating enough um, momentum or interest, if you will, that it is impacting statewide policy and movement now. Uh, in fact, the Census Bureau is, the U.S., every 10 years, according to the Constitution, we have to conduct a census in America, of course, and the Pennsylvania effort behind that is being influenced by the work of the Together Initiative movement, providing opportunities in our area for, for them to count people in a better way, particularly the Amish population. In other words, the Pennsylvania state census people looked at the network TIN and asked how can we help how can you help us count these people better so all that to say kind of a bumbling way to say this that the network has provided local opportunities for us to really help um, people in strategic ways and also making broader statewide um, changes to the very place that we call home in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania So when I say all that, I say that just to bring you up to speed with what are some things that have been important to us as a church and important to me. And so when things like that 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 are important, like the factory and the Together Initiative Network, are threatened, then it's worth fighting for. In the past year plus, that has been the situation, that the um, power of what has been created um, has been something that I have felt the need to be a part of in this transition of leadership that we've seen now at the factory ministries. And I don't realize, I don't think I realize the impact um, 
of what fighting for these things in the face of this leadership crisis was having on me over the past year. Um, it was hitting me both at a personal level and a professional level, my engagement with it. I've been a part of the network from the beginning of it and part of the factory for a very long time. I told someone, I use the image of a tsunami. I don't think any of us have experienced it. Maybe you have, I haven't. But if you can imagine a tsunami for a minute and the, the water recedes from the beach and in that moment, maybe the swimmers may not realize what's happening, but as the water recedes, um, if you're paying attention and aware you know it's not time to go deeper into the ocean, it's time to get out of there and get, go to high ground. And I've kind of said to some people, I have felt like I've been in a role where I've had to hold the water at bay while those on the beach get to safety, while the factory as an organization continues to work on finding a new executive director and making sure their structures and systems are in place, and while the network does the same thing as we refocus and re, you know, control our energy. And I've been, been a part of the, the heart of that for, for a year plus. Um, and since the factory's hired a new executive director, it's been great. Um, and the network is in a great spot. And so I look now from where we were a year ago and I think, man, we're in a great spot. And now I can let go of that water. And what surprised me is that that water rushed over me and not anyone else. And I don't know why that surprised me. Uh, not that it didn't rush over anyone else, but I wasn't expecting the wave of grief and pain to wash over me in the past couple months because I had not been able to process the hurt and the pain and the grief of all of what happened in the past you know, year plus and all of what went on both personally and professionally. And so several, for the past several months, I've been in a spot of trying to unpack what is happening. You know, where is this coming from? You know, where, you know, <laughs> the questions for me around um, why do I feel, for example, why do I feel discouraged when things are better now than they were a year ago? Why do I feel impatient? Why do I, am I getting more angry? And you may or may not have noticed that, maybe you have, but I began to feel that internally. And for the first time, I realized having the space to process and grieve this has been very, very important for me and very difficult for me. And I've found myself um, confused. And I've found myself having lost hope even though it seemed that we are now set up for success in a new season, I realized that my heart was behind and I didn't know how to process that. That makes sense. And this is to say nothing of um, uh, losing one of our best friends, uh, Tanya, to, uh, to cancer last March. And uh, on top of that, you know, I don't know that I've even had the space to begin that healing journey the way that I would have wanted to in light of trying to keep things together for the growth of the ministry both here and in our community. Uh, so I would see Greg here in the office, Greg, the worship leader who here this morning, um, and I would want to encourage him, and as he would say that I have been an encouragement to him, I think, on the whole, but I would sit there thinking, I don't know that I have the reserve to give, um, and I want to, and I want to have more to give. And so as I am in this space, I have to ask the question to me, and maybe you have related to this, but um, have you ever felt hopeless? <laughs> have you ever felt the sense of hopelessness kind of come into your soul and a, a sense of deeper discouragement that isn't just hopelessness around, oh, you know, is my team going to win the championship next year? I hope so, but probably not. Um, not just hopelessness around some more surface and cursory things, but have you ever felt a hopelessness settle deeper into your heart around the future. Will questions like, will the future really be any different than the present? Will what people have done to cause you pain or cause me pain ever really go away in the future? Is it worth trusting again and hoping again 
when it's likely that while the future is full of maybe rainbows and unicorns, it's also full of future pain and grief. And no one can tell you or no one can tell me otherwise. It's true that both what has been in the past will be in the future, and so can you hope again for real, or can you just be active and busy and engaged in your day-to-day? But is there such a thing as hope? Is there such a thing as hope that, and the question I want to ask this morning, is there such a thing as hope that actually abides and endures? that actually abides day to day. Those words I chose on purpose, that abides, that day by day I wake up and there is hope that is abiding and living in you and living in me and endures, that can endure the hardest things and the most discouraging things that life throws at you. Is there such a thing as hope that really abides and endures? And if there is, can we know it? So your story may not be like mine, and my journey of leadership struggle and challenge and personal struggle and challenge is unique to me to a degree, If we could sit down and share stories together, I would hear echoes of the same thing I am sure in your story. In fact, I was talking to a mom in our community just just this past month, and as I was standing on the stoop of her house talking with her, she was recounting to me the pain that she feels around raising her teenage son. She said, Tim, I don't know if I can do it anymore. Like, I'm afraid of what he's getting into. I'm afraid that when I look on his social media accounts, the things that I'm seeing, I'm afraid that he's getting into drugs. And I I just don't know if I can do it anymore. And she looked at me and she said, what am I supposed to do? Which is another way of asking the question, is there hope that can abide or endure? Is there a hope for my son? Is there a hope for me as a parent in raising a kid in a world where there's so much struggle and challenge? If you've ever been dumped by somebody, maybe by many somebodies over the years, you have asked the same question, is it worth hoping and loving again? If you've ever had the weight of family struggle on you, you have wondered the same thing. Is it worth hoping that there can be a future that's different than my present, or will I just, my future just be a series of consecutive days just like my past, just change the year, but the month and the days will be the same? Is there such a thing as hope that really endures and abides for you and for me? That's the question we all ask whether we put it in those words or not. And in this series on big questions that shape our world, I'm trying to get under some of these questions that drive our day-to-days. And this is one that drives me day-to-day right now. Does this hope exist? And I've tried to make the case in this series that both the secular world, that is the world without God, and the Christian world answer these in their own way. They answer the same questions. And that secular world and Christian world both are belief systems. Not one is a world of evidence and one is a world of faith. They are both belief systems. They both are belief systems. And what I'm trying to do is answer these questions from both angles and really ask the question, which is the most reasonable way to live? And so this morning as we think about hope, here's what I think about the world in which we live relative to hope. That everyone, and you know this is true, everyone has to anchor hope somewhere. And I want to begin this way as I think about the world, the secular world, that in the secular world, hope is tied or anchored to progress. This is a very simple idea. In fact, it's such a simple idea that it's hardly even worth talking about, it feels like. If I were to ask you, where, where else would you tie hope? You may or may not have used the word progress, but it is what we think. In other words, if you want to go on a diet, why, would, why should you keep turning down the chocolate cake? Because tomorrow morning you're going to get on the scale and you don't want to regress, you want to progress, you want to get better. Hope is invariably tied to progress. 
Should I keep parenting my kids? Sure, things will get better if you keep going, right? Do you want to keep growing your company? Sure, is it worth putting in the hard work? Sure, because things will get better, right? Should I try again and maybe date someone else and maybe I can find that right person? Sure, because hope is tied to progress. It just is. In the secular world, that's how hope works. Hope is tied to progress. There's just no other way to see it. If you want to win the championship next year, you got knocked out of playoffs early this year, then work harder. If you want to make regional course, then take lessons and commit yourself to it more. That hope is just invariably tied to progress. In fact, it's so difficult to see it without it. So what am I saying? That we should have hope that isn't tied to progress? Not necessarily. But I want to say this about hope and progress, because I think this is very important for the Christian to understand, for anyone to understand, that there's a problem with progress. There's a problem with tying hope to progress. There's a problem in my world in tying hope to progress. And I want to flesh that out. A couple things. Number one, progress is actually really hard to measure. I don't know if you've thought about this before, but it is. Progress, hope and progress. Progress is incredibly hard to measure. So when I think about what has gone on in the... Together Initiative Network in the factory in the past year. I believe they are stronger than they were a year ago. I believe they have good leadership in place and the, the, the bones of the system, if you will, are good. <laughs> but have I made progress in the past year? Or are things harder for me now than they were a year ago? Has progress been made? If you're on a diet and you're a young woman, you're on a diet and you want to look better than you do now or did a few months ago and you want to lose some weight... But if you begin to attach your identity to what you see in the mirror when you look back on yourself and you do lose the 20 pounds that you want to lose, I'd have to ask you, have you made progress? Progress is difficult to measure. Same thing for my mom who's standing on the stoop of the house talking to me about her son. Let's say that her son begins to exhibit signs of progress. She's no longer seeing the things that alarmed her. But what if, and this happened, what if actually the external signs just get pushed inward? And he keeps all of those thoughts inside, that the external lust turns inward. That the external anger turns inward to a deep root of bitterness that will only come out later. I'd have to ask, while he looks better and seems more civil, has any progress been made? When hope is tied to progress, you must be able to define progress very well in order to have hope continue to be tied to it. The reality is this, that progress also drifts. If you've ever gone to a high school reunion (laughs) and look around the room, you may have thought you were doing well with your family or your kids or your business or your home until you start talking to someone else who used to be, you know, the real bottom of the class kind of kid and now he's a multimillionaire living somewhere around. And you think, man, boy, I thought we were doing well, but not so much anymore. You know, we have a retirement account, and I, just recently I looked um, on the back end of it on the, the, the platform online, and um, there was a new feature that showed me what progress I am making relative to people my age uh, and my income, and I'm at whatever percent it is. I'm like, oh, I didn't know I was supposed to be worried about this, and now I am. Like, they're saying that there's some people who are further along than I am, and I'm further along than some people, but, but that will drift at times. So progress, tying hope to progress is kind of like this. It's kind of like taking your ship. And tying, it, and, and tying it to the pier. It gives it a solid place to be, but not realizing that the pier is not anchored to the ground. Because the boat looks anchored, it is, it's tied. But the pier moves. 
It floats, it drifts, and so when I look on my retirement account and I think, oh, there's some people who are further ahead, then I get my little oar out and I start paddling and I drift in that current with them. That progress drifts depending upon who and what I see, it just does. So tying hope to progress means that I am tying myself to future drifting. And finally this, progress also doesn't truly satisfy. I think in order to make this case, I want to use an illustration of going back in the day. If you can transport yourself to a time when slavery still existed in the United States. Terrible, terrible time. A horrific time when Christians even would make a biblical case for slavery. Hard to imagine. But imagine, imagine visiting a home of um, a slave owner and being able to talk to the slaves and trying to tell them, listen, hope. There is hope. And hope is that there's a better tomorrow. Hope is that someday your kids won't have to deal with the, the pain that you've gone through. Someday, 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 there may be freedom. Not for you, probably not. Maybe for your kids, maybe for your grandkids. So keep going. Keep going. And can you imagine trying to answer the question of the slave in the back of the room who asked the question, uh, excuse me, will there be anything done for the harm that we currently feel? Will there be anything done for the evil that we are currently experiencing? Will anyone be held accountable for what's happening right now? Or are you telling me that the only way that I can wake up in the morning is to hope that there is some distant human progress that maybe my kids or grandkids might have freedom, but you're also telling me that these slave owners who are abusing me and, and killing our children, they are gonna have no accountability. Is that what you're saying? That's where you're anchoring my hope to, is that right? Because hope that is tied to progress doesn't actually truly satisfy what you really want and what I really want. See, for the Christian, for the Christian, hope is tied to justice, not progress. For the Christian, hope is tied to justice and not progress. It's a vastly different thing. The Christian recognizes that there is an anchor, there is a place where that pier is anchored to, not just that I can tie my boat to the pier, but that the pier is anchored into the ground, and that is the anchor of future justice, not just future progress. That there is a God who sees, and a God who knows, and a God who cares, and a God who holds all, including us, accountable for what will be, that the pain of what you feel and the hurt of what you've experienced someday will be acknowledged and seen and cared for by a God of the universe. This is hope that goes beyond progress. One of the greatest injustices of the world that you experience and I experience is the injustice of death. This is the greatest injustice. It's injustice not just of physical death, but relational death, emotional death. And this is what Jesus came for. This is what the Christian believes. In Hebrews 2, the author of Hebrews puts it this way. It says this. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. The devil. 
and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. When we look at this passage, here's what we see, a couple things. First of all, see how this begins again. Since the children, the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. I want you to see from the very beginning the, the empathy, the compassion, the care of a loving father. That God is just like a dad who sees their kids playing in the dirt or playing in the sandbox or painting their nails or doing their hair and gets down and squeezes himself onto this super small kid's chair and pulls the table up awkwardly and has tea with his kids because he cares for them. Because he loves them. And this is, this is how God as a heavenly father is pictured throughout the scriptures and especially here in Hebrews. And I want you to, to understand and to feel that God has come through Christ in full humanity. He too shared in their humanity. If you have a picture of a God, particularly a Jesus, who is God but not fully human, you have a picture of something, but it isn't quite Jesus. See, Jesus came in fullness of humanity. He's fully human in all that it means to be human. We need to be sure that we understand and feel that weight. He came and he's fully you and fully me. And yes, he was without sin. And all of a sudden we feel a divergence. Like, oh, 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 oh. He's mostly human, right? Because I sin, I have temptation, you know, so that's not, he's not really me. No, 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 listen, listen, listen. You're not defining humanity correctly. Sin is being less than human. Sin is being less than human. God in his image made us as image bearers of God. That is the essence of humanity. You're an image bearer of God. That is your essence. That is your backstop as a human. You are an image bearer of God. You are not first a sinful person. You are first an image bearer of God. In that way, God through Jesus is fully human, an image bearer just like you and just like me. And so he comes and sits next to you, pulls up the chair awkwardly, fits himself into this space that is hard and sits with you. And what does he do? In that, in that comfort and compassion, look what he does next. That by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death. This compassionate, kind father destroys things. <laughs> what a mix. What a mix of a father. Someone has the compassion to care and see and sit with, laugh with and paint fingernails with. But then when it's time, it's time to destroy. It's time to destroy that, that which will threaten his children. And he has the strength and might alone to do it. And that is the tough, loving, sovereign king of the universe, the heavenly father who sent his son Jesus to sit with us and pull up the chair. And then when it's time, to do battle and to come out victorious. To do what? Look at the way this verse ends again and free those who all their lives were held in slavery to the fear, held in slavery, excuse me, by their fear of death. To free all those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. You're like, well, who is that? Who in the world, or all their life, would be held in slavery to the fear of death? Who is that? You know who that is? It's me. It's you. You know what death I'm afraid of? I'm afraid of relational death right now. I'm afraid of future relational death right now. 
Is it worth hoping again when relationships might blow up again? Is it worth it? Because there may be an end to it, and I don't know if I want to deal with that end again. You know, I'm afraid of physical death again. You know, Tanya has passed. I wish I could change that, and I can't. And so maybe the easier thing to do is just not talk about it and just kind of live it up. I mean, if you watch any current social media, any current cultural, uh, you know, good grief, we watch TV, watch a Super Bowl halftime show and commercials. Our, our cultural messages are live it up right now and let's not talk about death. Come on, let's not talk about death. We're not going to run a commercial on aging. When is that going to ever get you know, traction? It's not. The message is young, and strong, beautiful, proud. Why? Because let's not talk about death because we're enslaved to it. All their lives have been in slavery to the fear of death. That is where our culture lives. We're afraid of what will be and we're so afraid that we can't even talk about it. You're going to die and so am I. And that is a scary proposition. It's scary. I'm afraid of emotional death, right? And that mom I talked to was afraid of emotional death as well. Standing there on the, on the stoop of her home talking with her about her son. She said to me, Tim, what am I supposed to do? I think she, she, I think she, she didn't say it this way. I was reading it this way. She said, is there hope? I mean, is there hope for my son? And she was telling me, I am so weary. And then she said, please tell me it's going to get better. And I'm like, well, I'm going to be preaching the message in a couple of weeks on hope and progress, and I encourage you not to come. <laughs> I didn't say that. But what would you say? What would you say to a mom who's saying, please tell me it's going to get better? And the tears were in her eyes. I'm telling you, her eyes are wet, and she's ready to give it up. She's exhausted. She's put years in with her son. And you know what I could tell her with confidence? Here's what I told her. I said, you know what? I'm sorry for this pain. I really am. I felt it there with her in that moment. But I also said this, listen. God sees you. God sees you. He sees this pain. And what I'm trying to tell her in that space is there is justice that is coming. All that you are doing will not be in vain. All that you are striving for will not be forgotten. All the evil and injustice in the world will not be passed by. All the slave owners will not be, held, will not be free from the work that they have done and from the evil that they have you know, put on other people. There is hope because there is a God who sees and a God who knows. Not because, I couldn't sit there, I don't think you could sit there. She wanted me to tell her. She asked me, please tell me it's going to get better. And I'm like, I don't think so. And I said, listen, I don't know if it's going to get better, but I don't know if you need it to get better to keep your hope. Your hope is just anchored to the wrong thing. Your hope is anchored to progress. It's a weak thing to anchor to. When your hope is anchored to justice, now we start talking about anchoring to the character of a God who sat with us at the table, who loved us so much, and then who looked death in the face and said, I'm going to die for you, and did it to free us from the slavery of the fear of all kinds of future death, physical, emotional, relational, and spiritual. And so I believe this is true, that Christians tie their hope to justice and not progress. I think that's true. I think it's a principle that I hope can settle into your heart. But I also know that principles alone don't, 
aren't enough to do battle with the day-to-day work that you deal with and that I deal with. Some of you are dealing with the loss of loved ones right now. It's fresh and hard. A principle in your mind alone won't help you fight the battle. It may be a good center point, but alone, but alone it can't do it. It's exhausting. It's exhausting to walk through grief, to walk through hurt, to walk through pain. And it requires some natural, healthy rhythms, by the way. You know this, and I'm learning this. It requires the rhythms of fight and rest and fight and rest. And so for me, I want you to know, one of the things that I have the privilege of being able to do is work on a staff of people who can fill this role here you know, for me. So in, in two weeks' time, Pastor Greg is going to be leading a four-part series uh, on spiritual warfare, which I'm looking forward to hearing. I'm going to take advantage of that time. I'm going to take advantage of that time for a little bit of my own rest and renewal of my heart. And so if you wonder where I am, I'm not boycotting Greg, although that would be fun. This is a time of renewal for my own heart. Because this battle for hope is real and good. And it's the right battle to fight. But it is also exhausting in the trenches of it. And as I've been holding this water back for a little while, I've now realized the the weight and the pressure of that on me. So I'm looking forward to that time. But I will go back to my original question and finish it this way. I asked the question at the beginning. Is there such a thing as hope? that abides and endures. Not if it's tied to progress. But only if it's tied to justice. Absolutely not if it's tied to progress. Will you get skinnier? Maybe. Will you be more beautiful? Maybe. Will your company grow? Maybe. Will your income grow? Perhaps. But come on, is that what you really want? Come on. Is that what you really want? Hope that will endure, hope that will abide, is hope that is tied to the justice of God, that he sees you. He sees your hurt, he sees your grief, he sees your joy, he sees your future. And he's a God who came and pulled up a chair and sat at the table next to you and next to me to be with us, to fight, protect, to care and who will one day bring all things under his control. And that is a future worth hoping for. And that is why Christians, when they hope, they don't just hope in progress. It's not enough. They hope in a God of justice who sees and who knows. That's what I hope that you can hope in. That's what I hope that I can hope in. As we keep fighting a battle worth fighting to hope in the God who sees you and sees me. Next week we have one more question that I want to answer, and that is this, is it actually reasonable, reasonable to believe in God? Or is it just what people who are people of faith, maybe a little weak, reasonably do? I'm looking forward to finishing this series next week. Is it reasonable to believe in God? We're glad to have you back for that. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to push pause for a little bit and back up even in my own life and maybe in the lives of those here this morning or those listening that there is such a thing as hope in a hard world 
there is such a thing as a hope that can endure and abide, but it is a hard battle to fight. But it is a battle that has been fought and won by our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what Christians believe. And so I pray for us as we are on a whole uh, spectrum of responses to hope and struggle and challenge right now. I pray that you would give us the courage to see redemption again, to see that you are indeed a God who sees all of the hurt of our family right now, sees all of the hurt of our marriage, all the bad divorce that we've been through, the financial struggle that we're in, the insecurities that we're in, the shame that is not far from the surface of things I hope that we never have to talk about. All of these things that are a part of our lives that we bring to the table, I pray that you would help us to see. Again, that you're a God who sees and knows. And in that seeing and in that knowing, have pulled up a seat at the table next to us. Knowing that your children needed you. So we thank you for the power of your son, Jesus Christ, and the work he did on the cross. I pray that you would help us to rest trust in him and in you as a God of justice, not just a God of progress. And we pray this in Jesus' name.